Morning, everyone. I want to I speak a little bit this morning about a topic that I don't think is often spoken about in the church, and I really pray, and I have prayed, and I've asked God really sincerely that it wouldn't be something that, um, that, that perpetuates the reason why it's not spoken of in church, and it's holiness. Holiness. Okay? Uh, and I want to try and bring a little bit of a clarity about what holiness actually is. And to do that, I'm going to have to reference a couple of um, um, philosophical kind of worldviews. Um, okay? So before I start, I'm, not, I'm just going to say, I, I'm not going to reference the people that I've read because there's a lot of people. But the, 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 the guy, so I don't have to say this all the time, whose stuff I really love about holiness is Dallas Willard. If you have an opportunity to read anything of Dallas Willard, I think you'd be so blessed. Um, so um, I did use some of Dallas's stuff, you know. He's dead. I'm sure he doesn't mind. He was a great guy. Anyway, <laughs> here you go. Frank, I hope you're not recording that, okay? Because that, that can't be on the internet worldwide. But holiness, I actually heard um, some years ago we were at a little uh, conference of a bunch of um, church guys. And, um, hey, it's Patrick. It's nice to have Patrick. I don't want to embarrass you, but Patrick, welcome, dude. It's the first time. His lovely, his lovely wife came on to the Tortola trip with us. And uh, it's nice to have you here, dude. I hope you feel at home. Kick off your shoes. Free cappuccinos for him. So, <laughs> if you're a first-time visitor, it's, you know, it's your thing. Deborah, make sure you get a cappuccino. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Um, yeah, so... So, holiness. So, back to this conference. I heard in a small group discussion, I'm not saying this was the whole conference's vibe, but one of the young guys made a comment. He said that we don't really need holiness to get to heaven. Okay? Now, um, actually, I thought of it, and I thought, yeah, to be honest with brutally honest with you, yeah, maybe we don't. And that com- comes out of a worldview. It comes out of something that was taught to me as a child, and as I'm sure all of you who have walked with the Lord for a little while would have had this image of what holiness is. Even the world has some understanding of what they think holiness is. The only problem with that statement is that um, the Hebrews 12 says that as far as it's up to us, we are to pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which it is impossible to see God, or we won't see God, that's what it says. It doesn't mean like we are here and then one day we're going to walk in and say, wow, there's God. I never thought he'd look like that. That's what he looks like. No, it means the manifestation of God in our world today here, wherever we are. Because remember, we believe that we are not holding our breath to be excavated or, 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 or sucked out of this place with a big tube so that we can all go to heaven and live happily ever after. We believe that the earth is our inheritance and God will restore the earth and give us a new earth through the church, who is us who is a particular group of people who right from the beginning was called out from among the nations. Church actually means called out from among. So that's why we can't just go to church. Uh, We have to either be the church or not the church. And man cannot do that to you. And if your heart is open and you hear this glorious, this amazing good news, then God does something in your heart that no preacher, no matter what, even if you preach in front of the Hall of England at the royal wedding, has the power to do. Only the Spirit of God can actually do that in us. Wow. Hi, Lynn. It's nice to see you. So, that being said, it will be tough for us to get to heaven and not really like God. 
Or it'll be tough for us to imagine a place on earth here where God is not actually present. So I would say holiness is a big deal. Okay? But it's so important that we understand what holiness really means. So I want to read this prophecy that was spoken by John the Baptist's father. Uh, and it was, he was repeating a prophecy of old. And um, it's called Zechariah's prophecy. And it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, was, he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You can take that metaphorically into your life today. All things that the enemy would want to superimpose upon our lives, some of them subtly, some of them sweet, like a nice DQ milkshake. It's no good for you at the end of it all. So we can do that. And it says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. There's a definite call to holiness, to live lives that are holy. Second Peter speaks about it. He says, be holy as I am holy. All right? This is God, reiterating God. So it will be a tough reality for us if we don't like holiness or if we think we don't need holiness and then when we get to heaven, we end up not liking heaven. Because it looks nothing like what we imagined. And when I was thinking about those lines and listening along those lines, I went to Willard and listened to what he had to say. He was speaking about the incident when the servants came to Jesus, to God, at the end of it all, at the end of it all, when it's all said and done. And they said, Lord, what's going on in your name? And you know the scripture well. In your name, we prayed for the sick and they were actually healed. And it goes as far as to say, we raised, we raised the dead. We did all these incredible supernatural things in your name. And then interestingly enough, he didn't say, no, you didn't know me. He said, I didn't know you. And so holiness is this space, and I'm going to elaborate on it more and make it clearer, I hope, towards the end of this, where we allow God to get to know us. And we don't just want to know him, but we say, Lord, we want to know you. And that, friends, is literally impossible from the outside in. It's impossible from the outside in. He has to be able to break into our space, into our lives, and most importantly, to sum all those things up, into our hearts. There is no way that anybody can stop the man who has had an encounter with God in his heart. There is no way. There is no way. There are thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, of examples of men and women that were much less perfect than you and I. Although Paul says, I'm the greatest sinner of all. I feel like that sometimes. Who God has used to literally break open nations. Why? Because of the transformation of the heart. The Spirit of God, the seat of the Spirit of Christ, is the heart of man. And so holiness became this era... And do forgive me if I butcher this a little bit for those of you who are philosophers among us. But there was the modernist age that, that, that came about. And modernism basically was a reaction to a worldview that superimposed itself upon men from the outside in. It wasn't church-based, but it obviously, eventually, forced its way into the church and replaced methodology, the process of following Jesus, being a disciple, process by the authority 
and, a done, and I hope this becomes clearer, and it did away with, with the, the engaged relational reality of walking with God, and it superimposed everything from the outside in. And that is a worldview. And many nations did that. Many nations superimposed from the outside. So conformity was a big deal. Everybody had to be the same. You had to have the same ways. And communism and all kinds of views of social manifestations was born out of that. And in the midst of all that, we had a revolution against that. We, had the, we, we, we said enough of that. If you want to know anything more about that, to be dead honest with you, I'm not joking now, speak to Sean Queenan. Don't laugh. Sean Queenan has a degree in history and he's, when you sit and talk to him for longer than two minutes and he stops jo- joking and laughing, you, under, you realize that he's actually super intelligent. And he knows... Well, I don't mean it like that. I mean, he knows a lot. He knows a lot. I'm not even going to look in his direction. But he knows a lot. And, it's, and, it's, and so there's this move across the earth where people say, no more. No more. The Industrial Revolution with Mao Zedong. The, the Woodstock. Um, the, the hippie movement. The Jesus movement that came out of this rebellion against the church telling us how to live our lives. And it was called the age of the modern, of modernity. It was the modern era was born as, a, as rejecting that which was evolved. Are we, are we cool? So... There we, now we live today in the postmodern era. The postmodern is just like you say, post-game, post-service. It's just what happens after that. So now we have these two schools of philosophy and worldview that has developed, and they are very, very, very much deeply ingrained in the church. And that's what I want to speak about a little bit. Uh, the question that the postmodern world asks people, the church, is, is holiness good for us? Okay, so, they, so the world resisted conformity. It came and found its way into the church. The church found its way of rebelling against conformity. The old school way, which is actually the modern view, the irony in that, do you understand? Are you with me? And so the modern view, which is really the ancient view, is that everything happens from the outside in. Good examples. How many of you grew up in the church? Please, can I see your hands? All right, amazing. How many of you grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to wear jeans? Wow. Go, Jeffrey. Rocking the jeans. How many of you were, were raised in a church where you, where you weren't allowed to go to the movies? Eh? Now we're becoming to the holy bunch. We are the real holy ones. How many of you were not allowed to wear makeup? Full put. Okay, no makeup. How many of you had to wear dresses to church? How many of you were not allowed to hang out with people who smoke and drank? Okay, that is the classic, that is the classic old school holiness. It's something that's imposed upon us from the outside. And so what happened? You had a whole bunch of people who fit the bill. They looked like they were holy, but inside they were utterly degenerate. And they fell into all kinds of horrible sins because the transformation was something superimposed from the outside in. And therefore the heart was never transformed. And as a result, people wanted bigger ministries, better ministries, well-known, better known. I'm not against big mega churches. Praise God for them. They have massive fists in the area of the spiritual realm, I hope. They're amazing. That's not what I'm talking about. And so we have this, 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 this outward enforcement. Enforcement of holiness. This is called social conformity. 
social conformity. Okay, I'm going to just read this paragraph. <clears throat> As the modern thought turned into the church, it substituted method for authority. And the church was wrong in many ways. Method was the norm before the Reformation, basically. And, uh, and basically, this was the, the, the philosophy. God is so good, we are so bad, try harder. That was it. And your equivalent to your efforts at the end of the day equaled how holy you were. Meanwhile, no one was really holy. Because a true transformation is not transformation from the outside in, done by the hands of men. It is done by the heart, in the heart by the Spirit of Christ. And those are the transformations that are sustainable. And that, and that is the group that God will continue to influence and impact the nations of the earth with. Because there is nothing that can stop a man and a woman like that. And I know if I, if I just open the floor for one minute, we'll have 20 examples. I'll give you one. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. Okay? She had a mantra. She said, help me feed the poor. And last night we were walking downtown and I saw it in the window, help us feed the poor. And I thought of Mother Teresa. What distinguished her from, from, from most other people, church people, was her hunger and desire for God. She was not like an old snow-blowing machine that had to be pampered and then and then 12,000 rituals before this thing might start and run for 10 seconds. No, she was ready. She was infused by the, by the power of God because she had this, this inner transformation of the heart and, and, and said something at the end of her life that is transformational to the church. She said the church of Jesus Christ should have hard hands and soft hearts. Instead, most have soft hands and hard hearts. Why? Because the transformational work of the Spirit of God is not trying to look spiritual, but is by opening your mouth and allowing the Spirit of God to kiss you and to breathe life into your heart, into your spirit man, from where all holiness comes. And so this outside external control has rejected, been rejected by most people in this room, without a doubt. Right? Now some of us still hold to small grains of that. And what has happened as a result, I feel like a generational pause. It's like a, if you have a generational video playing, it's like someone just pressed the pause button because the church could not relate to those who did not know Christ because in some way of thinking, which was introduced into the church, that God is so holy, he's intimidated by sin and cannot look on sin, and therefore we can't associate with anyone that are sinners when we are most of sinners of all. And an entire generation pause. We're not reached because the church was holy. Okay, this is definitely one flow that I want to clearly establish because there's another one that's deadly as well. And so we all agree that we failed in that area, right? Say yes or no. Yes, we failed in that area. Biblical holiness is not primarily focused on behavior. Okay, I, I'm saying this with all conviction because I'm about to say something else. Holiness has more to do with being than doing. Holiness is more about being from another world than doing in this world to try and represent something that we never have the ability to represent because we cannot see that other world without the Spirit of God, which, by the way, is called the Holy Spirit. And so in our limited view, as the world view crept into the church, we developed a monstrosity of an idol that sometimes, like when God called Jeremiah into the nations of the earth, he said, sometimes you'll have to tear down. You'll have to overthrow before you can build and plant. And I do believe that we are those 
We are the demo team for 2018. We demolish strongholds, mindsets, that it's all about what you look like, how you behave. We demolish that. We absolutely demolish that. 2 Corinthians 10, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. What does that mean? There's another world. So when we say God saves us, what, why? What does that mean? What does He save us from? He saves us from a, 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 a current, short-lived reality that sometimes so dominates our lives that we don't see anything beyond it or past it. And the word says our hearts become calloused and hard. And so the transformational process is impossible. We cannot change. We refuse to forgive. We refuse to move on. Because we literally cannot. Because our worldview has not been toppled. Because salvation has not found its manifestation in those areas of our lives. We use God's mighty weapons. Not worldly weapons. To knock down these strongholds of human reasoning. And to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing what God is really like. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a beautiful chapter. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You literally cannot separate emotion from spirit. You can't do it. And neither can you separate holiness or living from another world from obedience. You, you can't do it. But I hope it's all going to come together at the end. So you see the wonderful way that God does that. So we capture these rebellious thoughts to teach people to obey Jesus. It's amazing that Jesus said in Matthew 28, his final words to his disciples, now go boys and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go boys and make hard workers. Or go and make ethical reasoning preachers and teachers. No, make disciples. It, it speaks of a method. It speaks of a walk every day. You walk it out every day. It's a, it's, it's a process of discipling to follow Christ. And that transformation becomes real in our lives only in the seat of our heart. As long as it's still on the outside, no matter how intelligent, you can even be more intelligent than Sean Queenan, you still will not be transformed because the transformation is from the heart in, from the heart out. James warns us in his first letter not to love the world or the things that are in the world. So let me ask you this, and this is where I want to just divert a bit. So, modernity arose. Transformation comes from the outside in. People tried hard to wear three-piece suits. In Africa, many, many, many times. In Africa, we get there 45 Celsius in the shade, and there's a guy with a gray suit, three pieces, and a red tie. Because somewhere he saw a preacher, a real preacher, wear that and he has to do that to prove that he's holy or worthy or a real preacher. Okay? So we've established that transformation does not come from the outside. It comes from the inside. So let me ask you this. Where do we go then if we want to be holy? What does it then look like? If, if it doesn't look like out of transformation, what does it then look like? And then, just like Paul and God and his incredible wisdom put in the New Testament books, that's why it's so cool that you read the New Testament so you can get an overview of the heart of Christ and the kingdom of God is revealed in you as you are being made holy by the Spirit of God that dwells in you daily, by obedience 
when Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, to, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It speaks of a, a group of people on the earth, not everybody, that had to learn obedience, just like our suffering Savior had to learn obedience. How? To suffering. What does the worldview say? Avoid suffering at all cost. In fact, the part that has crept into the churches. If you suffer, you have grieved God and you better rise up. Or the devil is attacking you and you have weapons, rise up against the devil, scream at him a little bit and then he'll go and you'll feel a release. It means none of that, friends. But obedience definitely comes at a price. And the contrasting reality of that price is equivalent to the measure of the worldview that you are living under. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And John warns us. He says, there's another side. We know it's not external. But if it's not external, what is it? He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, these are not from the Father. It is worldly. And leads to death. Meaning, it's not from somewhere else. It's from this present world. So neither do we know that conformity or holiness comes from the outside. And, and, and neither does it come from a licentious place where we just say, whatever, I will love the world and the things of the world. It will destroy you. And the thing that defines it is that it's not from the eternal realm. It's temporal. Because let's face it, unless Jesus steps in and says, all right, I'm ready to rule and reign with you guys, and the, the glory of God has covered the entire earth like the waters have covered the sea, and everybody on this planet has heard the gospel uh, that, uh, of Jesus Christ, I'm stepping back onto Mount Zion, and here I am, church, I'm ruling and reigning with you for a thousand years. Unless that happens, friends, we are all going to die. Physical, physical death. And so we, if we focus on the transformation of the spirit, of the flesh first, it is temporal and it will die. If we give our lives to Him, open our hearts to the, to the inflowing of the Spirit of, of Christ, we have something that is eternal. Eternal life. And we then step into resurrection life. All right. The world is human ability, human flesh, organized historically into a system where people use their natural ability to get what they want. This world is passing away, but the one who abides in God will live forever. And then I want to read Romans 8, which is called life in the spirit. It's not a formal formula, it's life in the spirit. Because none of us live our lives formulaic. Obviously we have routines, but we don't really know what happens in our lives as we live forward, really. You understand? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Kath and I spoke this morning. She said this to me. She didn't know. I said, why would you read my notes, babe? She said, I swear I didn't read your notes. She said, I am holy because I am in Christ. I'm like, wow! That's basically the, 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 the out the park. That's the punchline of this whole thing. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever been legitimately lost in your life? I'm talking about just driving somewhere or walking somewhere and you got lost. Anybody? Legitimately. All right. There's about, yeah. So Kath and I on our honeymoon, all right? 
Day one of our honeymoon, mid-afternoon, we're like, let's go for a little walk. We're in the Drakensberg in South Africa. We go for a walk. It's beautiful. Cathedral Peak area. I don't know. I'm making it. wasn't Cathedral Peak. It was somewhere very difficult and very rugged. So anyway, we walked, walked, walked. I'm like, babes, what the heck? I thought there was like a water pool somewhere. Yeah, there's a water pool. Let's keep hiking. Kath loves walking. God knows why, but she does. We walked and walked and walked, and hours later, I thought it's going to be a loop, you know, like most walks. I was like a loop in Canada. Like you just walk long enough. Oh, we're back at the car. This one, we get to this watering pool after hours of walking. I'm like, babe, I have no idea where we are, right? There's a thunderstorm rising. Now, the Drakensberg thunderstorms, no jokes. And it's like, it's beautiful. We're in the berg, and it's beautiful. I'm dramatizing a lot. Thank the Lord. There was another couple that came walking across the mountain from the other side. I'm like, hey, when does it turn around and go back? He's like, no, there's no turn. The, the next place is 25 kilometers down, the, down this road. I'm like, you're kidding me. There's no loop? <laughs> Even if we had a map, we wouldn't know where to look on the map. That's what it means to truly be lost. Even if you have a map, you're lost. You understand? That's what it means to be truly lost. That's what we, that's what we are without Jesus. We don't even know that we lost. We have no desire for Him. We don't even know the reference. But by His incredible grace, we get snippets of views into this, into this other world. And when we come into Christ, we instantly know who we are. Because as much as holiness is not behavior driven, your identity definitely determines how you behave. Please, did somebody hear that? It's huge. If you are in Christ... If you are in Christ, that's your identity. Our lives are hidden in, in Christ, in God, with Christ, in God. And as a result, we are called followers of Jesus. Followers, the way. We are on the way. And instantly we have an identity. And instantly we are no longer lost. That's why it says we were lost and you found us. We were in darkness, you put us into light. Because now we have a perfect reference and the transformational work of Christ can begin in our lives. Now friends, I've listened to a lot of doctrine and theology in my life and read a lot of difficult books. I'm telling you, we have a choice. I'm telling you, we have a choice. If I call Kath to come up here and give me a nice French kiss, she'll say no. Because she chooses that. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying we have a choice. We have a choice. I want to... My identity is in Christ. That means we can literally at times violate our identity. And that's why when we are in Christ, our righteousness does not change. If it does change because it's determined by our behavior, then we will not need to stand up seven times, which means continuously. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he arises. But I'm telling you, once you fall the first time, the second time, you're not going to fall as quickly. The third time, not as quickly. Not as quickly. And it stretches out until you stand, mature, complete, not lacking anything. Because what God does not want is more powerful people. He wants more mature people. That's why the entire New Testament is an urge to mature. To come into the fullness of Christ. And once we partake of the world, or as long as we give ourselves to the lusts and the desires of the flesh, and we say, yeah, but this holiness, we're just rebelling in another transient, temporal way, 
that'll soon die. And as a result, the consequences of our lives is devastating. You know why? Because this gospel is generational and we do not want to press pause on God's generational plan again. We, we, we just can't do it. He's the God of our children and of our children's children. So we can't, we can't in our own lives, we, we just can't do it. Put these ridiculous requirements. I don't know what God feels like sometimes. And neither can we just let it go, live by the flesh, because you do, this, is the, this is not real holiness. So surely this must be no real holiness, no friends. If neither is that real holiness. Otherwise you must take Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians out the Bible. Because Paul deals with these two flows in the church. He says, no guys, there's a middle way. You are in Christ. And if you follow Christ because you choose to obey, then the patterns of the world will be broken over your life. It might take a little while, but definitely will be broken over your life. Definitely. Who has not changed since they were children? I'm so sorry for you. If you've not changed. When I was a child, we used to shoot donkeys. Horrible. I feel so terrible about that. My brother and I, we got big hidings for that. I have no desire to shoot anything now. Why? Not because I'm a good guy or a bad guy. I would hunt if I need to eat something. But because my desires have changed. Think about your life. What did you like to do as a child? That you don't like to do anymore today because you've grown out of it. Similarly in our spirit. Similarly in our spirit. There's no, no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ. Why? Because Christ is eternal. That's why we live in this world of Starbucks and paying our taxes and getting a salary and working hard and stuff like that. But we, have, but we bring that other world into this world. The measure to which we bring the other world into this reality equals holiness. This is my pure opinion, okay? I might be totally wrong. But I hope not. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble with the Lord. This world is passing away. Wow. Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus. In Christ, because we now have an identity. We know where we are. And therefore, like William and Harry yesterday, how many of you watched The Royal Wedding? A lot of you? Awesome, yeah. I didn't watch much of it, but yeah. Garage sailing started yesterday. Um, they behaved in, in appropriate ways because they were princes. You know, Harry didn't walk down there and say, yo, what's up? You know, he, he, he knew he's a prince. His identity is firmly established since childhood. The day that you are born again, you are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. Now, you participate with Christ. You choose Christ. He enables you to choose Him. And when you fall, you stand up because you are in Christ. You're a follower of Christ. And what happens when you stand up? You mature. And when you go through hard times and you suffer, you don't run to Netflix or to the world that says, whatever you do, avoid suffering or pour another glass of dop. No, you press into the hardship and you say, Lord, what are you doing with me? Because your goal in my life that I would be mature, showing off this other realm. Not necessarily preaching your guts out, but living as if this realm is more real than this realm. 
equals holiness. For God has done what the law weakened by our flesh, because we're all weak in our flesh, could not do by sending his own son in his likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Therefore, in you and me, he condemned sin. I'm wrapping it up. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh. Interesting, eh? Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's all they think about. It consumes you. It's a lust that can never be satisfied. The more you want, the more you want, the more you want, the more you want. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God and everyone who represents that, for it does not submit to God's law at all. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Tabernacle is the word there. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you life for your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. To be holy means to be from another world. That's why it's called the be attitudes. Be. Remember, no matter how far you fall, remember whose you are and who you are. Remember your identity. Choose. Obey. Mature. Complete. Not lacking anything. Oh, I've got so much to say. Can I tell you how this changes? <coughs> so for some of us, we say, yes, I've heard all this. This is amazing. How does this work now? Do I just say, Lord, kiss me and everything's fine. It starts with devotion. If you can answer honestly to yourself today, what, 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 what am I devoted to? It'll either reveal your idol or your heart. So I have four words to say and I'm going to close. Number one, stop. Number two, wait. Number three, listen. Number four, follow. Amen. Let's stand together and pray.